Well, I want to just give us a big idea about what we're talking about this morning, about the resurrection and Easter. If I can just billboard what the resurrection is all about is in Christ's death, the crucifixion and the resurrection, because they go together, in Christ's death, those whom he represented died to sin's power, and in his resurrection, those he represented rose from spiritual death and will also be resurrected from the grave. So there is a two-part representation that is happening in the work of redemption. And this is what makes Jesus unique. This is what makes Jesus different from any other religious leader, any other guru. This is what makes Jesus absolutely distinct as being the savior of humanity because what he accomplished in his person and in his life and in his body and in his work on the cross was something that no one else could have done. And we all fear death, every one of us. One popular theory of how religion emerged in early humans is that as man grappled with his own mortality, fear of death, that he concocted comforting ideas about what happens when we die. This is one theory about where just religion came from, the idea that people live on after death, after the body dies, this idea that the soul somehow lives on, and it seems to make sense. We all want to live forever, and you can kind of kill two birds with one stone by upholding a moral order if you promise people be good, and you'll go to a good place. Act bad, and you'll go to a bad place. So be good for goodness sake, or something like that. That's kind of how religion falls on the ears of the skeptic or the unbeliever. They think that, you know, there's a, it, it, it comforts us when we think about death, and we're all kind of scared of death. And you can certainly see the belief in an afterlife in ancient peoples. The ancient Egyptians have these massive, tomb temples called the pyramids that are, you can see from outer space. They were obsessed with death because they were obsessed with being placed into the, the afterlife. They wanted the transition to go right. So they designed these portals, sorts of worlds, this portal into the next life, the pharaohs of Egypt. The Egyptians were obsessed with the afterlife but one problem of this theory that human beings invented religion so we could feel better about what happens after we die is in the Bible, well, at least two-thirds of the Bible, the Old Testament, doesn't really say much about resurrection and death, after, after death. Actually, the Old Testament says very little about heaven or what happens when we die. Now, one reason for that might be the simple fact that when God created human beings and God created the world, that the way we understand ourselves is oriented towards life and living, not death and dying. So the Israelites are created and they're given, excuse me, the humanity is created and the Israelites are given the law, which is to teach them not about what to do so they can die right and go to heaven, but how they ought to live. The resurrection is not about death, it's about life. 
Easter matters because God wants us to live and have life, not be obsessed with death. God wants us to do what we were created to do, to have dominion over the the earth and steward the creation and care for it and love and care for one another and reflect the image of God. This is what humans were created to do, not sit around waiting until we die so we can go to heaven. Now, we will go to heaven because Christ promised us that. He says, I go and prepare a place for you that where I am, you might be also. So that is a certain hope of assurance that we have. But what Christ did is about life. It's about this life also. It's about how we live. It's about how we treat each other. It's about how we love one another. It's about how we care care for each other. And what we need to see here is that resurrection doesn't simply focus on what happens when we die, which is kind of typically, traditionally, often the way we talk about the resurrection of Jesus and what it did for us. So what I want us to see this morning is how the death and resurrection of Jesus saves us. How it saves us. Not just guarantees where we'll spend eternity. It does that too. But how it saves us in this life. And what it means for us in this life. And we're going to spend just a little bit of time this morning looking at it from the book of Romans. Now when we think about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the hardship that Jesus had to endure with his suffering and the life that he lived, and the ridicule he experienced, and then the horrible, horrific death on a cross, we might want to say to ourselves, why? Why couldn't God just have said, hey, I'm God. I I expunge you of your guilt. If you repent, that's it. You're clean, you're forgiven, don't worry about it. And uh, when you die, I'll just raise you up. We think, well, why couldn't God have done that? Why did Jesus have to come, suffer, endure the hardships and the pain and the horror of the cross, and then die a death? And then why did he have to go through all of those different things? Well, in verses 5 through 7, we're going to see how death saves us. And in verses 8 through 11, we're going to see how his resurrection saves us. So first we've got to see that believers are united with Jesus in his death. In verse 5, Paul says, If we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And what Paul introduces in this passage is a word to explain how we get in on the whole ordeal of death and resurrection. Right? How is it that we say Christ died for us. How is that possible? We didn't die, Christ died. How did Christ die for us? And according to Paul in verse 5, how is it that his resurrection somehow means we'll rise also? How does this work? Well, the word he uses, united, relates to um, being union with Christ. So to be associated in a related experience knit together. And of course, this sets up this immediate conundrum. How can people like us who didn't know Jesus, let alone experience what he experienced, in any way be associated with his death and resurrection? 
Think about it like this. Um, a mountain climber climbs to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. Now, there are higher mountains in the world, but Kilimanjaro just sounds cooler. So a mountain climber goes up to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro and takes a picture of a disabled friend who is not able to make it, to make the climb. And when he gets to the top, he plants his flag and stuffs the picture of his best friend who's in a wheelchair in the crevice of the rock. And in some symbolic way, in some metaphorical sense, that friend is there on the top of the peak, right? But it would be a falsehood to say for the person who didn't go to the top, for the person who didn't summit, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. You wouldn't say that. You'd say, oh, my best buddy did a really kind thing. He put a picture of me when he got to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. But you wouldn't say, because he climbed Kilimanjaro, I climbed Kilimanjaro. I mean, you could say that, but you wouldn't say it in any truthful sense where you would want anyone to actually believe that you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. I've said Kilimanjaro like 10 times already. But Paul sets up what Jesus did as if we really took part in it, as if something about us is really different as a result of what Jesus did, which is to say that what Jesus did in his death and resurrection was not mere symbolism for us. It was not just a metaphor for, for something. In, there was something that actually happened on the cross that we participated in in some mystical way that we don't fully grasp and understand. We know, he says in verse 6, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. On one hand, we think, okay, makes sense. Dead people don't sin, right? When do sinners stop sinning? Well, they certainly stop sinning when they die because you can't sin when you're dead, right? So that makes sense. But how does this work? Because in the Old Testament sacrificial system, we, we know this, we've gone through this a few times before, and if you don't know the story, we'll kind of run through it again. The way the sacrificial system worked with the priests was that the priests would bring a goat and they would pray and transfer all of the sins of Israel, all the tribes, the, all of the people, and they would transfer the sins onto this goat and they would send the goat off into the wilderness. And what was that goat called? Does anyone know? It's called the scapegoat. That's where we get the word scapegoat from. And then they would take a lamb or a sacrifice, like on the Day of Atonement, and they would transfer this, they would, they would slaughter the animal to atone and pay for the penalty of sins. But the people kept sinning every year. They continued to sin. Sin never stopped, and so that cycle had to be repeated over and over and over again. But Paul is saying something different. What he's saying is, in Christ dying on the cross, us sinners actually died so that we would not be enslaved any longer to sin. And think about someone who has cancer. A lot of us know people who have passed from cancer. Cancer is a horrible disease. But when they die, what we often say is, they're free. We say they're free because cancer doesn't have any more power on them because they're dead. 
And Paul is trying to make a very similar point that in some real way, in God's sight, we died in Christ on the cross, and in some real way, we are no longer guilty of of those sins anymore. The sin doesn't have dominion over us. We're not enslaved to sin anymore. And we still keep on sinning, but in some way positionally. Our position with God has changed from being guilty to being justified because of what Christ does on the cross, which means when Christ went to the cross, he took with him all of those who would be saved, and they died with Jesus on the cross. So when Christ died, we died, and the purpose was that sin would not have dominion and power over us any longer to enslave us. And look at what Paul says in verse 7. He says, for the one who has died has been set free from sin. The one who has died has been set free from sin. How is it we died? Well, we just mentioned it, but in the same way that Adam represented the human race, Christ represented us on the cross. We were crucified along with Jesus. And here's the really heavy thing. The old man, the old woman wasn't crucified and then came back to life. The old person, the old self, stayed dead. Which means the people we are now are new creations. The people we are today are not those old people. The old man, the old self, the old woman died and stayed dead. This is kind of technical, but I'm unpacking this so that we can kind of understand what happens in this whole matrix of redemption called the cross, the crucifixion, and the resurrection, because we all know the words, what Christ did on the cross. He died for our sins, but we don't exactly know why, and we don't exactly know how. Oh, yes, Christ died for me on the cross. Well, why? Well, I'm not really sure why. Well, how? I'm not really sure how. But I know it happened. We're trying to get out get at a little bit how it happened so that we can appreciate what it means that we have resurrection life in Jesus. The old person died and stayed dead, and the person that you are now today in Christ is a new creation risen, spiritually resurrected, and will also one day rise at the resurrection from the grave. So here's this transition The crucifixion is only half of the equation. The sinner is considered dead, but the extent of our right standing with God would end when we died natural deaths. It's kind of complicated. Let me try to clarify it. If we were justified at the cross and made right with God because the body of sin, sinning, the dominion and the domain of sin, sin as as a master over us, And the person who was in bondage to sin, if that person died, like a slave set free at death, but Jesus didn't rise from the dead, all of that would end at the end of our life because we're mortals. But Jesus' work of redemption was in two parts. As a priest offering the sacrifice that totally atoned for sin, and then as a king, and get this, as a king... Jesus had to dethrone the reigning king, and that was death. The Bible says 
in just a few chapters, a few verses earlier in Romans, that death reigned from Adam to Moses. Because sin entered the world, death was the reigning king. Death was the reigning ruler. And so Jesus' work on the cross, while complete in his work of atonement, he still, as, as a king, had to defeat the reigning king, which, according to Romans, Paul says was death. Offered an atoning sacrifice and then dethroned death in his death when he rose from the dead. Sounds counterintuitive, right? How is it that by dying he defeated death, but that's exactly what happened? And if in our day and age we've got Marvel and DC comics and movies all over the place, and you've always seen this image of the, the hero who kind of absorbs evil into himself and then is kind of like obliterated, you know? And there's this price that the hero pays, and then if the movie is a good one, he comes back, right? It's like he's absorbed all of the evil in the world, it's killed him, but somehow that breaks the power of the evil and he comes back. Listen, that's, they took the script right from the Bible. That's exactly what Jesus did. He takes death and all of its power, which is essentially the consequence of sin, into his person on our behalf and allows it to do its worst and he dies. Jesus died. God became a man and died for us. And then three days later, on this day, rose from the dead, defeating the power of death. And this is why the resurrection is so important. This is why Easter matters. Because the single fundamental consequence of sin in the world is not even the wrong things that people do. It is death. The power of sin is death. It is the one universal thing that all people experience equally in that we all die. Not everybody sins equally. Some people live very short lives. Some people very, live very long lives. But death comes to all of us. And so Jesus, rising from the dead, defeats the power of sin, and he does it with us in him in some spiritual, mystical, powerful way, but in a real way. And so... The defeat of death accomplished by Jesus is also something we participate in. Listen to what Paul says. Because of Adam's trespass, Romans 5, 17, therefore just as sin came into the world, because of Adam's trespass, through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all men sinned. So sin was defeated on the cross, the penalty was paid, And the part of us in rebellion to God died on the cross with Jesus. And because of sin's effect, death reigned over humanity. It had to be dethroned. That's what Easter is all about. The resurrection is about death being dethroned, the power of death being emptied out, and the guarantee of our resurrection being made firm and solid. And Christ is referred to as the firstborn of the dead, not because he's the first one to rise from the dead. In fact, in Scripture, there's about a dozen people who rise from the dead. You know your Bibles, right? You think of um, the widow of Zarephath's 
son who Elijah raised from the dead. You can think of Lazarus, right? So why is Jesus the firstborn from the dead? Well, all of those people presumably still had to die natural deaths, right? Lazarus rose from the dead. Jesus caused him to rise from the dead. But maybe 30, 40, 50 years later, he died again. But Jesus rose from the dead never, ever to die again. Look at verse 9. He says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Jesus, through death, defeated death by making a mockery of it. He absorbed all the power of sin to kill and destroy, and he conquered it on the cross. When we say Jesus is a king, we really mean it. When we see Jesus reigns, we're not just using Christianese language. We really mean that Jesus reigns because all of the powers of darkness, all of the works of Satan were made nothing on the cross and in the resurrection. And then this is what he says in verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And this is what we meant when we said in the very beginning of 20 minutes ago, when we first started this sermon, that the resurrection is about life. Because Jesus rising from the dead is about enabling us to live to God. It's not just, great, when I die, I know I'm going to heaven. Okay, what do I do with this life? Not really sure. I know I'm secure. I'm safe. I've got a guarantee of eternal life. That's true. But what do I do now? And this is what Paul says. He says, you've been raised with Christ to live to God. So consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. So when you sin, you're not behaving in a way that comports with what you are now, which is a new creation. Live in a way that comports with who and what you are, which is a new creation. Risen from the dead, dead to sin. The old sinner person is dead and still in the grave. The new man, the new woman is alive, so live to God. Live to God. You've been raised with Christ. The old self is dead and in the grave. Stop acting like that old person because you are new. You have been raised with Christ. And at his appearing, he will also take you up to heaven. I mean, this is the gist of it. This is, this is what Easter is all about. This is the message of Easter. That in Christ, God has restored us to the purpose for which he's created the whole world. And this is the tension that we have with a world that is lost and dying and doesn't even believe in Christ. We live as new creations. We live as people who are renewed in the image of God and restored to our original purposes and design for the world because of the resurrection. The resurrection reveals Christ's power over death. The resurrection proves Christ's power to forgive sin. The resurrection defeated God's enemy, and the resurrection also proves that Christ was divine. Because of all of these things, we're alive to God, Paul says in Colossians 3.3. So then, set your minds on things that are above and not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Ephesians 4.22, put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life. 
Put off the old self. In other words, stop acting in ways and habits that represent that person that's in the grave that died with Jesus. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, the resurrection isn't so much about what happens to us in death. It is that. It's not less than that. But it's about what happens to us in this life. What it means for us in this life. So this morning, I want to encourage you to live resurrected lives. Lives that scream to the world, sin isn't my master anymore. Lives that scream to the world that Jesus reigns. Lives that tell the world that we bear God's image, that we reflect his glory, and that as image-bearing humans, we serve as emblems to the world of who its true ruler is. It's a counter-narrative from the story that the world is telling about who's really running things and about what life is really all about. And we're saying, no, Christ reigns. Christ is in charge. Jesus is the king. We've been raised with Christ in his resurrection to live unto God. And we returned in the crucifixion and the resurrection, we are returned for the purpose, to the purpose for which God originally made humanity. Death won't hold us in the grave, and one day our physical bodies will rise and be carried up into the presence of God to receive renewed bodies, glorified bodies, perfect, incorruptible, sinless bodies. But in the meantime... And I think this is what Paul's whole point in Romans 6, 5 through 11 is all about. In the meantime, we've got work to do. A life to live for God's glory. We now live as people who've been raised from the dead spiritually and will also rise from the grave when Christ returns. All because he defeated the power of death on this day. That's why Easter matters. Because of the resurrection, we're exempt from eternal death. We'll live forever and we'll reign with him for all of eternity because Jesus rose from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for the word which proclaims to us that this weekend, Good Friday, the day your son died on a cross, that we died with him. That the old man, the old woman in Adam, in bondage to sin, was crucified and killed. And that the lives we now live, we live to God as resurrected people, people of the resurrection, new creations and new creatures. Lord, orient our hearts toward the kingdom of God. Orient our hearts towards the truth of the gospel and the power 
Lord, of your word and message. That in Christ we have new life and that sin no longer has the mastery over us. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.